Have you ever been really thirsty? I brought an extra water bottle up here this morning just in case I get extra thirsty. And even sometimes the mention of being thirst can start to make you feel thirsty. Uh, I remember when I, whenever I go out hiking in, in the western parts of the country, to always have three things. Sunscreen, lots of water, and chapstick. One time I remember forgetting chapstick, and I felt like I could almost feel the moisture being sucked out of me as I, in real time. It's important to have those three things. And uh, I went to the Grand Canyon and I was hiking around the rim, and the sun was blazing down, and I got dehydrated, and I got a bad headache because of that, and I was just really, really craving water. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been uh, craving water like that, but I, I have certain things that come to mind when, when I think about thirst. One of the other things I think about is related to a book that I read several years ago. I love to read biographies of people that go on grand adventures and things. And one of those books was about a forced adventure by some uh, people that didn't plan on being in the situation they found themselves in. James Riley was a ship captain from Connecticut, and he, he uh, sailed back in 1815 across the Atlantic and he and his crew were going to do trading up and down the coast uh, in Spain and North Africa. And they got uh, shipwrecked on the coast of North Africa, just south of Morocco. And um, back then, much as it is today, the, uh, the area is populated by uh, nomadic uh, camel drivers. And they were captured and they were uh, forced into slavery and they forced marched them barefoot with no shirts on across the Sahara Desert. And the book is called Skeletons on the Sahara for good reason. Because by the time their months-long ordeal was over, several of them lived to tell about it, they looked like skeletons with skin on. And they... Uh, they, they um, the, the, one of the chapters in the book is called Thirst. And it's, it, it's hard to read. It really honestly is. It's almost like torturing yourself just to get through that chapter, what they, what they endured. And uh, for us here in northern Kentucky, I, I heard recently that uh, because of the hills surrounding this area and the bend in the Ohio River, that northern Kentucky is the most humid part of the state. Does that make sense to you? I believe that. It's really humid out there today. You can almost wring your shirt out without it raining at all. And it's, it's hard to, in this part of the country maybe to, to get a sense of that, that desert dryness. But even though you may not be able to personally think about that in any experiential way, maybe you can, I am sure that at some point in your life you've experienced a different kind of spirit of thirst, and that is a spiritual thirst. And it's usually described as a lack or a longing for something that's just out of reach, something that is preventing us from being satisfied, at least not in any lasting sort of way. In today's text, in Isaiah 55, I want to encourage you to turn there. We're going to see an invitation from God to come, all of us thirsty people, to Him 
for the satisfaction of our spiritual thirst. Spiritual hydration is our theme this morning, and we're going to look at what the text there has to say. The book, Isaiah, was written by the prophet himself. Isaiah was one of those pivotal prophets in the Old Testament because he had a long ministry and it spanned over some significant events in the history of the nation of Israel. A very unenviable task, I must say. I would not have wanted to be Isaiah because during the first half of his ministry, he was trying to get the people to wake up. Turn from your wickedness or else. God has promised that he's not going to just sit by forever and let your wickedness go unpunished. He, he, will, he will do what's necessary to bring his people back to himself. But they didn't listen. Uh, and, and so right in the middle of the book, you see that Sennacherib from Assyria comes in besieges the cities of Israel and takes the people off captive, those who are remaining alive. And he, uh, he puts them into uh, a completely different place. So the second half of Isaiah's ministry is, uh, is, is there, you just see a shift. It's no longer God will punish, but God has punished. And it changes from messages of dire consequences coming in the future to... God won't forget you. God wants to restore you. Listen and learn the lessons of the past so that they will not be necessary to repeat. And so this morning's text from Isaiah chapter five, uh, 55 uh, needs that context so that we can learn it. Now, as New Testament Christians, we recognize that what Isaiah is writing here, he's writing to the nation of Israel. But in the New Testament, Jesus talks about these subjects, and there are many things that we can find as parallels that, that give us justification for drawing conclusions and application from the text ourselves today. And so we want to be careful to do that. But what I want us to see, and especially in verses 1 and 2 to start, are characteristics of God's offer of spiritual hydration. What does it look like? And so let's take a look and read starting in verse 1. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, he who has no money. Come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Let me stop right there. I'll give you the first two of these three things that I see here. And the first is such an encouragement. It says, come everyone. God offers spiritual hydration to anyone. It's available universally. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what you've been through. You can come to God and find satisfaction for your soul. Isn't that good news? I find that to be so encouraging because there are times in my life when I feel like perhaps God, uh, and this is my flesh speaking, because in my, my flesh, I think um, 
that there comes an end to forgiveness or a limit. But God is boundless in his generosity. And anyone who thirsts can come to him for that satisfaction. The second thing I notice is that it is free. It is free. There is no money that we can pay, uh, no sacrifice that we can make. It says, come by wine and milk. And these are metaphorical things, the wine and the milk and the, and the bread. Uh, it says, without money and without price. He even goes and asks them a question. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? These people were trying to get satisfaction for their souls through their stomachs. It doesn't work. It never will. Because as the, uh, the old metaphor goes, is that God has placed in each one of us a hole that only he can fill. Anything else we try to put in there just rattles around inside and doesn't satisfy. You look at advertising in, in uh, the marketplace today. And uh, I remember when I would watch TV uh, commercials and things. Like, you can get a lot of these from going back and looking on YouTube. But uh, they seem to be a lot more straightforward back a while ago. You know, you, the, they would advertise their product. This is what it is. This is what it does. And this is what it can add to your life. And the commercial would be over. But now you, you can get to the end of the commercial and, and not even be sure what it is the, they're selling specifically because they haven't even hardly mentioned the product until the very end. And all the commercial is about is, is people having fun or, uh, you know, there's some kind of an emotional tug that they're, that they're trying to create an emotional tie to their product so they can sell you based on an emotional response. It's, 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 uh, it's a great marketing tactic, uh, but it's something that we need to be aware of. It's like, uh, if you want this level of satisfaction in your life, you need this product. Well, the Bible tells us no bread, no, mon uh, no milk, no, nothing like that, that we can come up with on our own. Nothing we can buy will ever satisfy our souls. And then thirdly, I see if we skip down to verse 6, that it says, uh, and this is a famous verse in the, in the text here, seek the Lord while he may be found. That is a startling verse to really think about. Seek the Lord when? While he may be found. What does that mean? That means that there is going to be a time when it isn't available. In the presence of God. God can be found now. There's no guarantee that that will be available in the future. And oftentimes in our lives, we tend to put things down the back burner, and we tend to delay and procrastinate, and God says, seek the Lord while he may be found. I was talking to somebody at the pool yesterday, and, and uh, it came into the conversation that uh, we as people are like grass. You know, we don't know how long we have on this earth. We plan out our lives as if we're going to live long into retirement and we try to carefully prepare for those days. But we don't know whether we will have tomorrow 
All we know is the time that we are in right now. And so when the scripture tells us to seek the Lord while he may be found, it's telling us not to delay. Don't wait to get serious about this. So the characteristics of God's offer are that it's universal, such good news. It's free, but that it's also for a limited time. Uh, You might be here this morning and you might be thinking, um, okay, all right, so God's solution to the problem of spiritual thirstiness is that we get this or accept this offer of spiritual satisfaction. Well, what is it that, what is the product? What is it that, that, that uh, will quench this thirst? And we see this also in the text. The answer to it is here in front of us. And the thing that God is offering so freely and what satisfies us is God himself. C.S. Lewis said that um, we can think about this like a a gasoline engine. Uh, Imagine yourself uh, running low on gas and going to your refrigerator and finding a gallon of milk and trying to go out and put the milk in your gas tank and trying to run your gasoline engine on milk. It wasn't designed to run on milk. And C.S. Lewis, didn't, he didn't use milk. He said, it's just, he said that it's only designed to run on gasoline. If you run it on anything else, it's not going to work. And God has created us in such a way that we run on him, so to speak. But yet we try to run our lives and, and on so many different things. And we gum it all up and we can break the engine and that is important for us to remember because there are so many things that broadcast and preach that they are satisfying to our souls when they're really, really not. But people can have a relationship with God and still be thirsty. Uh, Many times Christians find themselves with a distance between them and God and sin can get in the way And sin can cause that distance, barriers to come up between us and our Heavenly Father. And so when we talk about spiritual hydration, it's important for us to understand that it's not that just that God is what we run on. It's that a right relationship with God is what causes spiritual satisfaction. And we get a right relationship with God through understanding and following the Word of God. And the Word of God does not come in ice mountain water bottles. It comes through the pages of Scripture. And and so for the rest of our time this morning, what I'd like to do is talk about three things that help us understand applying the Word of God to our lives in a way that can help us satisfy the thirst that we find within ourselves. And the first of those three things is in verse 2. It says in the second half of verse 2, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And the first thing I see here is that the God instructs people to listen 
diligently to the word. It's been said that there's a big difference between hearing and listening. Isn't that true in your experience? Israel had a long history of letting God's word go in one ear and out the other. Is that true of you as well? And, that, and it may not be anything intentional. It may be just for lack of careful atten attention, a lack of diligence. Do you have personal devotions, at least semi-regularly? How do you go through your personal devotion time if you have it? By the way, I've never run across anything that is a better pathway to a deep relationship with God than having personal quiet time devotions with God. And I challenge anybody to come up with something better. Yet I find so few Christians actually do it. They say, I want a better relationship with God, but when it comes to actually putting the effort into it, there's such a lack of, of good Bible study technique and devotional, devotional time. Uh, it, when, when I was a kid, the big devotional that everybody was using, and we still use it around here. I see it in the halls and on tables. It was uh, from Radio Bible Class. They have the Daily Bread, Our Daily Bread. And my mom used to read that, grow, and it was always on the table. It was folded into her Bible, and she would read that, and there's scripture there. And, and she had a good, good personal time with the Lord. And, but it was a supplement to, to what she was doing. But I find that so many people, uh, even today now, there's the, the, the Bible app you can get on your phone, and it has the verse of the day. Is that enough for you for the day? Just getting a text notification. Here's the verse of the day. Can you run a whole day spiritually and feel hydrated on that one verse? And, and many, many of us even less than that. And, and the, the Bible tells us that, that listening diligently is an important facet of the life of a growing child of God. But yet we do it poorly so often. Uh, are you distracted when you come to church and sit in the pews? I know that I'm easily distracted, and it doesn't take much, honestly. It could be the, the twitching of the person in front of me, or it can be uh, just the temperature in the room or whatever. And Satan is quite quick to try to dislodge my concentration, and, and I'm fully aware of that. And we have to fight to listen to what we say. Here are a couple of tips. This is what I found to be helpful. I don't always practice them, but when I'm at my best, these are some of the things I do to listen diligently to the Word. Choose a time when you're fresh to read God's Word. Not when you're run down, not when you're so worn out that, because my memory retention is best at the beginning of the day. By the end of the day, forget it. Uh, I all forget it. And uh, if you're like me, that's, that's the case for you as well. And I know we all wake up at different rates and that sort of thing. So maybe a time for you when you're at your best is different than for me. But whatever it is for you, let that time be the time that you set aside to listen diligently to the word. 
I read with a pen in hand. That's why I love a paper Bible. It's, I, 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 find, I found it difficult to write on my Bible with, uh, if it's on my iPhone with my finger. I, I like to write in the margins. I underline in different colors. And For example, the text that I have for today in Isaiah, uh, it says here in verse 2, which I've already read to you, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? It reminded me of what Jesus said in Matthew 4.4. 4. Now, I, I had to look up the reference because I, I didn't remember right off exactly where it was in the text. So I looked it up, and I wrote it in the margin for future reference. What does that text say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was quoting uh, Deuteronomy in that case. And in Deuteronomy, Moses... Uh, was explaining to the, oh no, this was actually after Moses died and they had entered the promised land and this was right at the point where God was going to cease putting manna on the ground for them because they were all wrapped up in, oh no, we're going to starve because we're not going to have the manna. And God's like, no, no, you worry about following my word and I'll provide for you. And so if we can do that, we'll be in much, and I wrote that in my margin of my Bible. And because my memory's so bad, I'm sure that there's going to be a time in the not-too-distant future where I'm going to come across Isaiah 55, and I'm going to say, oh, wow, look what that, I wrote that in the margin. And, and, and so when you're listening diligently to the Word of God, it's important for us to set markers. I encourage you to do that with your pen in hand. And also, you can journal in your own words what you read so that you can uh, internalize it better and read it out loud to yourself. And so this is another uh, reason why private devotions is probably a good idea. If you're reading it out loud when there's a lot of people around, they might think you're nuts. But reading it with inflection, try to do that and it'll help you internalize. But above all, there, there's nothing more uh, effective at helping us internalize the Word of God than memorizing it. Uh, yesterday, um, my son Andrew was sitting at the table, and he said, I love Titus. And he just blurted it out. And I was like, oh, why? And he, said, he started to quote for me some verses that he had been memorizing from Titus chapter 2. And I was I thought, that's great. And then he went out and, and he... Uh, and he messaged a friend from school. And I guess they had been uh, motivating each other to memorize scripture. And I think that's an amazing thing. Is there somebody in your life that is motivating you to memorize scripture? If you're a young person here today, now is the time. Because the older you get, the harder it is to remember. Amen? To memorize scripture as you get older is much, much more difficult. Uh, we were uh, in Disney a couple of weeks ago, and Andrew was memorizing stuff uh, like this. As you're standing in the line. What else do you have to do? You memorize the text of Scripture. And I said, oh, which one are you memorizing? And he told me, and I said, I'm going to do that. Well, it took me three days to memorize what it took him to memorize in just a, a few minutes. And so hide God's Word in your heart, especially when you're young, because throughout the rest of your life, you can refer back to it. 
and it will cause you to listen diligently to it when you have that uh, foundation there. And now secondly, we see also in verse 2 a word that can help us as well when it comes to applying the word of God. We see that in order for the word of God to be the source of spiritual hydration, we must delight in it. It says, delight yourselves in the rich food. And again, this is metaphorical for the, uh, the bread from heaven, so to speak, the, the, the words that proceed out of the mouth of God. Psalm 1, verse 3, tells us that the righteous delight themselves in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. Do you delight in the word of God? Or do you treat it more like nasty cough syrup, something that's probably good for you, but you don't want to actually down your throat? I confess that there have been times in my life when I haven't, you know, run, yippee, it's time for devotions. I confess that uh, because not every day is the same and our moods change and sometimes we're more tired and sometimes we're in uh, a book of the Bible that's a little more challenging. But do you delight in God's word? Delighting in God's word is one of the keys to spiritual satisfaction. And this may frustrate you to think about this because you might, uh, you, you might, wonder, how does somebody conjure up a feeling of delight? It's like when Jesus says that the great commandment is to love your lo the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, and First John is all about loving God. Do it. It's a command. How do I command and, and how do I follow a command to love? Well, it's really important for us to understand that some of the commands in Scripture that we, we sense are related to our emotions, our, our modern Western ways of thinking through, about things. Because in the Scriptures, the word love, for example, is always, always, always a verb, the word love. It's never a feeling. And we tend to think of things that God intends for us to do as things that we are supposed to feel, and that's misunderstanding. And I believe that delighting here is similar to that in that we must work at these things in order for them to become true in our lives. C.S. Lewis observed that we tend to stop doing things because we don't have the feelings of love or desire to do them. And he uh, suggests that, he, he says it this way, he says that we need to tell our feelings where to get off. And I like that. Uh, you know, stop it. You know, uh, that's not the way we're going today. And act, act the right way regardless of feelings. And he says a curious thing will happen when you do. He says that oftentimes when we do the right thing, despite our feelings, or lack thereof, that we'll find the feelings will eventually follow. 
And I want to encourage you today that if you have been in a dry period, that there may be things that God has made clear to you that you're not, you're not obeying God's word. And you might think, well, I just, it's been difficult. I know that I'm supposed to want to do this, and I just don't. Do them anyway, and then just see what changes God brings into your life. And that brings up the third thing, the third and final thing, and that is in verse 7. And I, I think this is uh, such a great, great verse. It says, I'll read verse 6 as well again because I only read part of it. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. And, verse 7, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Are you wicked? <laughs> I saw some people nodding their head. That was, that's pretty, uh, pretty brave to nod in church like that. Um, how do you know you're wicked? I mean, based on what? Can we really know whether we're righteous or wicked unless we know the scriptures? Because there are the standards. If we're unfamiliar with what's right and what's wrong based on what the Bible has to say, then we don't even really know what we have to repent from. And so another characteristic of, of our, 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 our talk today is that when we, when we seek spiritual hydration, we need to turn to God's word because when we're exposed to God's word, we're exposed to the differences between us and righteousness and where we need to change. And so the third thing I see is that we must let the scriptures change us. Those who listen diligently and delight themselves in the word of God will see where they are living out of step with God's word. Spiritual hydration doesn't come to those who simply read God's word or hear it. We actually have to do something with it. Now, what scripture does that remind you of? It reminds me of James chapter 1, verse 22. It says this, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And there are a lot of things that we just need to add to our lives and, and, to, and, and positive changes, not necessarily areas of repentance. But in a lot of cases, there are areas of repentance that we need to get right with God if we're going to find spiritual hydration. But this is where pride gets in the way. We justify things pretty quickly and pretty well. We're good at it. We have our reasons for what we're doing or not doing. And, and when the scripture shows us that our actions are different from what the scripture tells us to do, well, that's for them over there or that's 
not applying to me for the and we we refuse to change because we like the direction we're going or we think it will be too uncomfortable to follow or we're not sure if we're interpreting it correctly and the scripture says this is the way and we go a different way even though we know what it's saying and pride can get in the way like that um uh, at the pool yesterday, um, I was talking with a couple of people, and, and one of the pe people I was talking with uh, referred to me as a religious person. I kind of bristle at that. I don't like being called a religious person because I don't think it... Well, he, he didn't mean it in any mean way, but he's not a religious person by his own ad admission. Why is he not a religious person? Well, as best as I could nail it down, he looks around him at the world, the people that he's known, and he's seen that bad things happen to good people. And that good things happen to bad people. And if there's God, that's not right. You see what he's doing there? I can't wait to see him again because I want to get back into this conversation. We got interrupted. Uh, and he, he might run when he sees me coming. But uh, what I want to say to him is, look, I, I don't think that you disbelieve in God. It's just I just don't think you like God. And I think what you think is that your understanding of the way things should be are better than God's. Meaning that you think that you're on a higher moral plane than the God who you think is doing things all the wrong way. Now, when we get a mentality of criticizing God for what he does and doesn't do, we can reject uh, him because we think that God has no rights to do things different from our reason. And it says in verse 8, for my thoughts, says God, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, uh, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Let us never say to God, I'm not changing because I think my way is actually morally superior than what you have written in the scriptures. This is especially true in a trap for modern people, especially young people here who have, have been exposed so much to the sec secular moral changes that are happening all around us. Here are a couple of examples. What does the scripture say? That God created us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that he knit us together in our mother's womb. That's very intentional. That's a hands-on process. But yet, what do we hear people saying today? We hear people say that we have rights to change things about ourselves that God has made as if what God has made is doesn't really matter. You know, if you may have your father's eyes, 
and you may have the wit of your mother. Your gender has been given to you by God. But we, with our modern technology, have taken the place of God and said, we deserve, we're higher. I, we understand better than God does what should be right and what should be wrong. And this sin. There are many people that go through very difficult uh, psychological struggles related to who they are and their identity. And a lot of people are fighting to discover who they are today. And I don't want to minimize that battle. I think that it's very important for us to be very sympathetic to people going through these situations. But let us never cave to the spirit of the age because of the pressure that is around us. It is important for us to stand on the truth of God's word because ultimately that will always be better for somebody in the end. If they're looking for satisfaction for their souls, they're not going to find it anywhere other than in God himself and in obedience to his word. Why would we celebrate anything else? Now, I mentioned our topic uh, for this morning to Pastor Graham this week. And I love Pastor Graham. He, he, he launched right into a mini-sermon right there <laughs> as soon as I mentioned the topic that we're going through. And uh, he said something to me that really stuck with me. It rind, reminded me, I was a, over in the firehouse. We were having college group uh, several weeks ago. And uh, a, a student was visiting from out of town. And he came in with a, a, a gallon jug of water. And he was drinking the water and drinking the water. And I was like, man, that's a lot of water. And I said to him, what's with the water? And he's like, oh, this is really healthy. I'm drinking two of these a day. I thought, really? That is a lot of water. It just occurred to me, let me do something here. Hey Siri, how much water should the average adult drink? A half a gallon a day. All right, so there you're now informed. If you're not drinking a half a gallon a day, and I don't even know what that's according to. According to who? That didn't tell me. So the powers that be have now told us that we need to drink a half a gallon a day. Now, Amy drinks much better amounts of water than I do. I tend to load up on coffee. Can I get an amen from anybody? Some of your... It counts, right? It's just brown water, right? There's water in it. But uh, uh, he was drinking two, two gallons. I wonder if he's still on that kick. And actually, that's a, probably never thirsty and constantly fully hydrated. Uh, but there are people, and this is what Pastor Graham was telling me, especially people when they get older, they can be very dehydrated and not know it. Dehydration is, is almost uh, a chronic thing with a lot of older people because they get more sedentary, and when you're more sedentary, you don't get thirsty. Now, I'll take his word for it. Uh, I don't know what research he did to, uh, or, or what, or maybe it's his personal experience, but what I, what I thought about when, I, when, when he said that to me 
was that uh, how true is that of people spiritually? Uh, if we get sedentary in our faith, you, you might be in here this morning and checked out after you saw the title slide. You're like, I'm not spiritually thirsty. Well, maybe you're spiritual. Maybe you're dehydrated and you just don't sense the thirst. And why might that be? It might be because it, the scripture tells us that um, Jesus poured himself out like a drink offering. He was always emptying himself for the sake of others. And if you, uh, if you think about um, situations like Mark chapter 1, Jesus was healing people and doing all this ministry. And it was like a whirlwind of activity. And what did he do? He would actually sneak away early in the morning to get alone with God and pray. Why? Spiritual refreshment. Right? All that activity gave him the sense of a need to be with the Father and, and to be refreshed. And I wonder if there are people here that like, I'm not thirsty at all. But the reason we're not thirsty is because we're really not putting our faith to practice at all. And so you have to be the one that helps, you know, you have to evaluate yourself in these areas. You have to submit your life to the Lord and say, Lord, maybe I am really thirsty. Please help me to get the satisfaction. Help me to understand and apply your word to my life. I want to feel... Uh, like that, you know, the woman at the well, she's like, give me that water. Jesus offers the living water. And maybe that's our prayer today, and maybe we need to make some courageous changes. But maybe there are people here that um, have been pouring our, and so you've been doing a lot of ministry. And there are, I know that there are a lot of people in our church that do more than their share of, of the work of the church. And you need to be careful to not let yourself empty out and burn out. Don't burn out from the ministry. Get alone with the Lord. Make sure that you're doing soul care and finding that spiritual hydration for yourself. But if you're in a third category where you're not even aware of your, your, your thirst and, and your dehydration, you might need to do a little bit of checking in your own life to see whether you have actually been following what the Lord has to say. As we close this morning, I was thinking of some words to a song. I'm going to just read them to you, and then I'm going to pray. And, and Jay has a good song picked out for us to close our service with. But it says uh, in that old hymn, Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. I want us to close our service this morning with songs of loudest praise, thanking God for the spiritual hydration that he offers to us that is himself as we learn about him through the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word again. Uh, we've had it open and I hope we've been listening. I'm sure I could have done better. You chose me for this, I guess, today. And Lord, I, I pray that 
we would be a church that is known for filling the cups of thirsty people. And Jesus even said to his disciples that if anyone even gives a cup of cold water to a little child, that he will not lose his reward. And there, there's such great spiritual thirst all around us. And sometimes, Lord, it's inside us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to leave today seeking your face a little bit more diligently. Courageous to make changes where we see they need to be made. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a delight in your word as we seek to obey it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.